This chapter of Acts always catches me by surprise. I mean, one, because so much of it has kind of been moving really, really slow. There's, there's this trial, and there's that trial, and we've got to go before this Roman official, and we've got to go before that Roman official, and you're kind of like, yes, yes, I've heard it all before. And now it's all over, and we're going to Rome. And then the, storm, the whole story of the storm and the shipwreck just kind of comes out of nowhere. It's, 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 a, it's a great plot twist except for the fact that it's true. You know, it's not a plot twist. It just actually happens. And it's a lot like life. We kind of go, I think I, I think I know where this is all going. I think I know where this is all heading. And then here comes life and plot twist. Unexpected, out of the blue, not really out of the blue because you can kind of see it coming. Paul goes, I can see this coming. Centurion goes, I know better than you. Um, I, you know, I'm from Rome. You are Jewish. You guys are not known to be sailors by trade or seafarers. And so, you know, you're just scared. Don't worry, we'll be fine. But it's on the horizon. You can see it coming, and then it comes. And I, I don't think there's any chapter of Acts that invites our imagination quite like this chapter. Because this is not a chapter that you're supposed to read. This is a chapter that you're supposed to see and hear and feel, okay? Can you imagine being in a storm that is so fierce and so violent on the Mediterranean, for crying out loud? This is not the Pacific Northwest. You go, yeah, I had, yeah 14 days without seeing the sun. Yeah, every winter, man, you know? No, no, no. Uh, no, I mean, like, I mean, like, like we're talking, like, those nice vacation places that you want to go in the Mediterranean. You can't see the sun for 14 days because the storm is so bad. You can't even see the sun. And you're dropping anchor after anchor after anchor, not to stop you, but just to try and slow you down enough so that when you do hit the rocks, it doesn't just immediately split the ship down the middle. And imagine the, the feeling of helplessness. And imagine the feelings of loneliness. Imagine the chaos, okay? And see, that's what's happening, really, okay? If you think about it, up into this, up into this point, the mission that the Holy Spirit has set out for the church is to spread the gospel through Judea and through Samaria and out to the ends of the earth, and right now, the, the gateway to the ends of the earth is all the way to the seat of the Roman Empire in Rome. And, and that's, that's where this particular thrust of that is going. There are other people that are spreading the gospel in so many other ways, but Luke is specifically following the journey of Paul throughout Asia Minor and throughout Greece and now going to Rome with the gospel. We know that he's going to go farther. We know he's probably going to go out to Spain later after he's under house arrest in Rome. But, and there's other people that are going other places. But right now... We're following this mission, and it looks like one by one, the same powers that stepped up to try and stop just even, even the, the, the growth of the church originally, with, with Peter kind of at the beginning of the story, you've got the Sanhedrin and the Jewish authorities that try to oppose it, you've got Rome itself that tries to oppose it, and then you've got persecution and death itself that try to oppose it. And every single one of them falls. And now you have those same powers lining up to try and stop the gospel from doing what the Holy Spirit wants it to do. 
get to where God has asked it to go. And you have the Jewish Sanhedrin. Again, they stand up. They try to tear Paul limb from limb in the middle of a riot in the temple. And the Holy Spirit intervenes and saves. And then you have him getting caught up in the Roman bureaucracy for three years. And it seems like this promise that God made, don't worry, be of good cheer, I am with you, that that's just not going to come to fruition. It's just not going to happen. But the Holy Spirit intervenes. Even, through, even using the Roman power against itself, even using the Roman legal system against itself, and this thing that is, is, is opposed to the gospel actually becomes the vehicle by which the gospel is going to reach Rome. And we think, okay, it's all, real, it's all over. There is one other power we forgot about. And it rears its head. And it is the power of Genesis 1. It is the power of chaos. It is the power of a creation that is out of right relationship with its creator. We forgot about that one. And out of nowhere, it rears its head and says, I challenge the mission of the gospel. And that's what this story of the storm really is. The depth and the chaos of creation itself now threaten the gospel mission. And it reminds me of something important, okay? What it, the whole reason that, that, that this chapter is so imaginative, I believe, is that it invites me to once again place myself at the mercy of life. And here's the thing. You and I are at the mercy of life a lot. We just kind of try to forget about that fact. But you, you and I... Even, even as believers, we are at the mercy of life a lot. Why do you think Jesus tells us stuff like, don't worry about tomorrow, worry about today? Why? And he tacks us on, because today's got enough trouble of its own, okay? Even as believers, even as we who know who it is who holds tomorrow in his hand, we spend our time a lot at the mercy of life today. And we like to forget about that. We like to forget about that. And Luke's going to remind us, no, 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 no. No, that's a, that's a reality that you face. You did, not, you did not lose that just because you believed in Christ. You did not lose that. You did not, know, you did not remove yourself from that place in life just because you became a disciple. we still are wayfaring strangers. We still are exiles on the waters. We still are pilgrims on a journey, every single one of us. And, and we forget that. And how do we respond when the journey takes an unexpected turn for the devastating? More importantly, where is the Holy Spirit in the times that we are at mercy in the uncontrollable elements of life when the diagnosis is positive. When the rescue we need does not come. 
when we get the notice that says we no longer need your services. When the one that we love is taken in spite of our prayers. Where is the Holy Spirit when that happens? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus when those things are still a reality? We don't like to talk about that much. And yet, this is an undeniable thing that is in our lives, and it is an undeniable thing that is in the life of, of, of Paul and of Luke as they're moving toward Rome. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it looks like even after everything, even after everything we've done, even after all the planning we've done, even after all the promises, now it's going to just come down to the fact that we sailed on the wrong day. You know, the funny thing is, 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 is that the Feast of Tabernacles is October 5th. And so they would have been starting their journey like basically like right about now. And so I think it's kind of cool that we've been working on this series like through March and now we're talking about this and this is something that would have actually been happening right about now is when they would have been beginning this voyage that turns into this storm, that turns into the shipwreck. So you got to understand the Jews of the Old and New Testament aren't typically seafarers. Even lakes like Galilee are challenging and unpredictable. Because of the Jewish mindset, the sea is a monster. It's a monster that's created by and it's submitted to God, but it's still chaotic. It is still an unforgiving entity that humans interact with and they try to travel over but they never master it, ever. And only Yahweh can do that. I mean, if you think about it, you think about the story of God interacting, his masterpiece finished to the Exodus account is him manipulating the depths and the chaos of the ocean to bring about deliverance for his people. He cuts a swath of dry land through the chaos and delivers his people. The disciples see Jesus do the same thing the chaos is all around them on, on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee. And they say, don't you even care? It doesn't, you know, it, great, you're a great teacher, great, you've come to bring life, but we're going to drown because we're in the middle of the chaos. And Jesus just cuts a swath of peace in the middle of the chaos. And that's when they start to fall down and worship and say, who is this that the wind and the waves are subject to him because the wind and the waves aren't subject to anybody. Here's the thing, you and I don't generally feel that way. And I sometimes, like, admittedly, like, sometimes being a landlocked guy who grew up in Denver, Colorado, I get this semi-panicky feeling sometimes when I find myself out in the ocean in my life jacket or something, even sometimes, like, over at Gordon Bay, like, and I realize that I can't see the bottom and I have no idea how deep of water I'm in and I'm actually in it and I get that kind of... <sighs> but I generally don't feel that way. It's not, like I'm, it's not like I'm clinging white-knuckled to the rail of the Coho Ferry every time we go going, what if this thing goes down? Like I, I naturally assume that we're going to get where we're going. And frankly, that's the way we look at a lot of life. In like three weeks, I'm going to travel to the other side of the world to Ecuador with 
my 12-year-old daughter and a couple other folks, and I, we're going to do that in a 24-hour period, and I assume a few things, okay? Here's what I assume. One, we're going we're gonna to leave generally when we're supposed to leave. Two, we're going to get there generally when we're supposed to get there. Three, nothing is really terrible going to happen in the middle of that. And four, that my baggage is going to show up with me. Okay, that's a stretch. But the other three, I assume. And with good reason, because people do this all the time now, right? But somehow in that, we've, we've kind of lost, we've lost a critical attitude that our ancestors had of being small people that are out of our depth in life. There's a certain humility that comes with that that's good, not bad. And, and, yet, and yet being small people out of depth in our life, still called to risk, still called to navigate, still called to adventure through life. Frankly, our first clues to the Spirit's presence in Acts is that there even is a storm. Because I spend most of my life, I think we spend most of our lives trying to purge our lives of the possibility of storms. We've begun to think that we have the right to be able to control all the forces of the world, just like God. We've even built things that become idols to us that say that they are that we say are doing the work of God. They could be economic ones, they could be medical ones, they could be governmental ones, they could be technological ones. I don't care what they are. But we take them and we devote our trust to them. Machines that will make our lives more like the machinery that they are, rational and predictable and dependable and uninteresting. Life on our own terms without risk or pain or mystery. And when that doesn't work, when that doesn't happen, when the machines break down, whatever they are, when the statues crumble, and the delusion of control is shattered, we find ourselves out of our depth, terribly hurt, terribly betrayed. I believe we've lost the critical attitude that the, that the people of the Bible had where they realized that they were little people way out of their depth in life, but held by a greater God. There's a humility and there's a peace that comes with that that we need to recapture. And that is what is going on in this chapter. That is what we are to be reminded of. I mean, church, I would say that that's one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to remind you and I that we are actually out of our depth in life. That risk, that pain, that mystery, those aren't just fundamental parts of my life. They're fundamental parts of the Christian life. They are the heart of the story of Jesus himself. Jesus being the ultimate risk of God, okay? I get these questions in my mind sometimes, and I don't, I, don't think they're, I don't think they're foolish. I think they're just reminders. What if Jesus had contracted influenza and died in his teens? That was happening all over the place. What, I mean, what if, what, if he's, what if while he's out on the road going from town to town teaching and preaching, what if he gets set on by robbers? Because they're all over the place. 
I mean, let's, let's be real. What if the donkey gets startled by all the palm branches and the shouting and throws him? And he never recovers. Like those aren't, I, I don't think those are, I don't think those are benign questions, right? And you can say, oh, well, God, you know, God had this plan and God was moving. Yes, God was moving this direction. But let's just be honest. From the very beginning, Jesus and his family are running to flee the infanticide of an entire town. All the children of Nazareth get wiped out. What if they get stopped at a checkpoint on the way and it doesn't pan out? I think we forget the incredible amount of risk that God has been and continues to be willing to endure in order to love and save humanity. It's not that he's not all-powerful. It's not that he's not able to do. But we keep running into this thing. We keep running into this simple fact of you and I can totally choose to walk away from all of it. And you and I can totally choose to throw a wrench in all of it. I'm constantly surprised by the fact that God is willing to take in everything that he does, the risk of making a world that is flesh, that is unlike himself, a creation that can be moved to chaos or moved to follow him, people that can freely move to deep intimacy with him or just as freely tell him to (laughs) tell him where to go. And you know what? He'll go there again and again and again. He will go to that risk. And he will literally go there for us. That's what makes God amazing. He will take that awful risk of entering into the most frail, helpless way possible as an infant and endure all the risk of an entire life pointed toward the goal of a cross and a grave with a promise of a third day on the other side of it. And all of it could come off the rails. And if you say that idea is foolish because the risk isn't really that great because God is still fully in control, Luke would point to his experience in Acts 27 and say to you and I, yes, that is both totally true and your idea is both totally misguided at the same time. A look at Paul's experience in the storm. There's no sense that this is all cheerfully determined in advance so that they can just sit back and watch it all unfold without a care. It's also not being worked out through some dark, unrelieved groping around for a hope that remains so uncertain there's no sense of security or assurance. It's not either of those things. And life is not either of those things for us either. It's not all, it's not all determined out in advance so we can just sit back and be like, oh, no, it's good. Because life will show you that it's not good. Life will show you that it is not good. And yet it's also not something for us to be spending our time just groping around for meaning, going like, I, I just, I'm crawling around in the dark just looking for something, some, some shred of evidence. Because in the middle of the storm, God's spirit is so very clear to Paul and to Luke. Even though the outcome of the storm is not.
you read the narrative, you see Paul speak and you see him act, and there's both this, this great stress at being of the mercy of things that are completely beyond our control, and yet a strong sense of God's rescuing presence with him throughout it all. And that has always been the story of God, and especially the story of his Holy Spirit. Risk and salvation holding hands together. Goodness and mercy for the rest of our days, laying at the other side of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And church, that's why I would say to you this, like, we actually desperately need those storms. We need them. We must have them. We cannot live without them. Not truly. We can, we can do some sterilized, false imitation of living. But we don't really live until we live in and through the storm with God. We need them. Devastating as they are, we need them painful as they are just to wake us up from our delusion of security and arrogance and remind us that we church are the HMS Shelburne, his majesty's ship, a small boat on a very big ocean. Journeying at risk all the time and yet directed by the master of the wind and the waves at the same time. And most times, it's only a good storm that's going to tell you the truth about that. You know? That once you have faith, everything doesn't flow smoothly. It flows in the direction of taking up the cross. Which leads to the empty tomb and the heavenly throne. You need all of that. And this is the journey of Jesus across these waters of life. And we are now navigating the currents using his course, not ours. We need the storms to remind us that this is not our journey. This is his journey. And we are following in his steps. And so what will we do in the midst of the storm? How do we respond when the shipwreck is imminent? There's, there's one more story that it would be good for us to remember that Luke is calling us to remember, the story of Jonah. Jonah, who has access to God but won't use it. Jonah, who has a calling to mission but runs the other direction. Jonah, who values himself at the expense of others. A prophet who both understands what is going on in the storm but fails to accept the greater vision of God in the storm. That's the story of Jonah. And in this storm, we see Paul acting like the anti-Jonah. Like he, he, he's who Jonah should have been, if you think about it. Okay, he's not running from anything. Instead, he's pushing himself to be faithful to the calling of God, even in the midst of trial. He consistently values the mission of God over himself, and he's very, very aware that this mission isn't just about getting to the end of the road at Rome. It's about getting this whole boatload of folks, charged prisoners, pagan sailors, imperial soldiers, all of them to where God is taking them together. The reality of God's spirit being present in the storm is paramount and it drives Paul to say and do some really important things that I think we are called to adopt in the storms of our life. 
The first thing I think is that he accepts the reality of what is lost in order to push ahead for what must be saved. Paul is praying and seeking God earnestly through this 14-day storm, and he receives this vision that's kind of a good news, bad news thing, and he comes to him and he says, look, okay, the, everybody's going to be saved. Nevertheless, we must run aground. He's not going to try. It's, it's so realistic. It's so honest. It's refreshing, and it helps put things in perspective. Ships can be replaced. Cargo can be replaced. Lives cannot Accept the things that are lost is already lost. Push on to the things that can be saved. I mean, how, how foolish would it have been to see one of these sailors as the stern of the boat is breaking apart by the waves on the sandbar, try to jump over the ship, the bow of the ship, and make it to shore carrying a chest of gold? How dumb would that be? You do not hang on to the things that sink. You go for the things that float, right? And yet, so often we allow storms in life to paralyze our thinking and we hang on to the wrong things and we begin to treat people like cargo and cargo like people. And the Spirit desires to bring clarity to our confusion in that, I believe. Especially in our ability to release control in times of trial so that we can be filled with the Spirit's strength and the peace to hang on to the crucial attitudes and elements that we really do need rather than turning in circles or sinking, hanging on to things that have absolutely no value. Probably the most important attitude that I see, though, is, is in this little mini story that's in the middle in verse 30 through 32. Okay, I've, I've wondered about this story so long, okay? But there's this point at which they're dropping the anchors, and all of a sudden a group of sailors goes, you know what? This thing's done for. The guy said it so himself. We're going to pretend to drop anchors, and really what we're going to drop is we're going to drop a lifeboat, and we're going to get out of here. We're going to, this is our only way to live, is to get off this thing and get out of here. And Paul, whether it's just knowing, seeing what's going on or Holy Spirit prompting or both, he goes, hey, 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 if those people leave, they're not just done for, we're all done for. Now, I don't know if it's, I don't know why. I don't know if it's like the entire complement of sailors and nobody else knows how to run the ship or if there's something specific that, that they need. And, and if they cut loose, like, then, then we don't have what we need, or if it's something to the vision of God, like, look, if you all stay here, you're all saved. If not, I don't know. But I do know this. That must have been a real tough situation to drag these people back and say, I am going to cut this lifeboat loose so that you will stay with us so that we can actually live, Okay? And I thought about this so much, and I, and, and, I, and I prayed about this one so much, because this is a really, really hard thing that, that, I, that I think that, that I heard God say out of this, okay? Is that in our culture, and I'm going to narrow the focus, and I'm going to say in this church, because I've been a minister of this church for four years now, I know it's not a long time, but it's long enough to get to know you a little bit now, all right? I see a very, very devastating attitude that seems to come when we hit the storms and it's this the first thing we do in this congregation 
is we hit the lifeboat and we cut ourselves loose from everybody. And that's dumb. At a time where we need, when we're under trial, when we need to be reaching out and grabbing on to everybody that we possibly can in order to live, we cut off our relationships. We turtle and we go off by ourselves. And I've seen it happen so many times and it breaks my heart for you, church, because the life that you need is here with the people that love you with the people that will be there for you. And on the converse, when I've seen people actually do that, when I've seen it in our life groups, in our small groups of people saying, I need you, I need you, I am weak, I need help, you know what happens? You live. You live. And not only do you live, you end up bringing life to other people because they go, me too. Oh, I needed you to say, I need help, because you know what? I need help too. And I go, great, okay, let's all get back in the boat together and live. And I don't know what bothers me more, that, that we're so quick to get in the lifeboat and cut ourselves loose, or the rest of us who are so willing to let, to watch people do that. We know what's happening. Like, we're not dumb. We're adults here. You know. They go off the grid for a few Sundays. You don't see them at small group. You don't, you know, you're like, I need to call that person. I need to, like, that's the Holy Spirit going. They're cutting themselves loose. Do something. Get them back in the boat with you. And we just let them go. Because we're like, I'm too busy. Or worse. Well, gosh, I wouldn't want to offend them. They're going to die. Who cares about offending them anymore? They're going to spiritually shrivel up without you. Go get them, right? Don't let them die. Love them. Love them enough to be like, look, something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. I, I, like, I'll be honest. I haven't, I haven't, maybe it's just because I'm a minister, but I'll tell you what, I have never had a time where I have gone to somebody and said, I love you, something's wrong here. Can you help me understand because I love you? I have never had anybody say, get out of my face, that offends me. Never, never, not once. And so, church, I'm here to tell you that is a lie. That is a lie that you're not supposed to get into other people's business when they're your brother and sister in Christ because we don't get through this thing unless we go through it together. If we're at the mercy of life, we are so much more at the mercy of life by ourselves. Don't do that. Okay, so, like, so there's my chastisement for the day. All right, sorry. But I mean, gosh, I feel so passionate about it because I love you so much. And I don't want to see you drown in the storm. I want to see you hang with the people that can keep you alive, right? And then the most important thing, and this is the thing that we're moving to right now, and, and I'm, I'm so glad that we're moving, it to, moving to it. Like, do you miss that they have communion on the boat in the middle of the storm? Paul goes, look, I, I, know, you've been, I know you've been scared. It's been 14 days. You think it's all over. I have good news. It is all over. Okay. And then he goes through the exact same motion that Jesus does at the Last Supper. The exact same road 
the exact same, the exact same ritual on the road to Emmaus where these strangers that think it's all over all of a sudden find the Lord taking the bread and blessing it and breaking it in their midst and they take courage and go, wah, oh, that's what's going on. I had no idea that the Lord was in our midst. One of the best things that we can do when we're in the middle of the storm, not just, not just hang on to each other, but to come to the table together. To break the bread of life together. To remember that he is still Lord. That's what we're getting ready to do right now. I don't, I, don't, I mean, maybe, maybe it is smooth sailing for you right now. And you're like, good sermon, preacher. Good job. I highly doubt that that is the case for most of us. I don't care whether it's big, small, or other. We've got stuff going through because we are at the mercy of life. But we are saved by the author of life. And both of those things are equally true. We need to be reminded. We need to be drawn further into his presence. Drawn further into his spirit. Drawn further into the community of the saints with one another. Reach out and grab those people that are drifting and bring them back into the community of saints. Because this is where life is in the midst of the storm. It is at the table. It is at his feet. It is us together as the church. His body connected to the head. Growing and living so that we're equipped to do every good work. Especially, especially when the shipwreck comes. Amen. Amen.